This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, don't forget a pair of games this evening starting at 7 o'clock Eastern on CBC and Sportsnet. It is the New Jersey Devils looking to stave off elimination at the hands of the Carolina Hurricanes later at uh, 9.30 Eastern on Sportsnet. The Dallas Stars and the Seattle Kraken, that series now a best two out of three. Um, Off the ice today, the big piece of news is Keith Jones and Daniel Briere. Keith Jones now the president of hockey operations for the Philadelphia Flyers, as announced this morning. And also, not surprisingly, Daniel Briere has the interim tag removed from his general manager business card. Here for comments on all of it, and maybe most importantly, what's next for the Philadelphia Flyers, is Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic. He covers the Philadelphia Flyers. Charlie, how are you today? Hey, doing okay, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm very well. So before I get to Keith Jones here, so this is kind of how I saw the the Daniel Briere thing. I don't know. You think it's maybe a conspiracy theory or I'm whack or I'm out there. <laughs> Let me know what you think about this one. So Daniel Briere is initially hired as Chuck Fletcher is dismissed, and the title is interim general manager. And I think we all had the idea that one day Daniel Briere was going to be the general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers, and this was just Philly's way of getting him there. Uh, but there was that interim tag. Now, my belief or theory is that they were going to leave that on until Dan Helferty was in place. And then this way it could be presented as Dan Helferty's Daniel Briere, as it also is Dan Helferty's Keith Jones, as opposed to Dave Scott hires and then Dan Helferty takes over. Am I stretching here or do you think that there's some, there's some, there's some juice in this squeeze? I think there's some truth to that, definitely. Um, you know, I think the, the wheels were already in motion by the time that, that Chuck Fletcher was relieved of his duties, that Dave Scott would be retiring shortly and that Dan Helfrey would be taking over. So I, I do think there's absolutely something to that. Um, that said, I also think that part of it was that they, they liked the idea of naming the uh, the full-time GM, who I, I believe they always intended to be Briere, at the same time as the president of hockey operations. They like the idea of presenting this new, uh, I guess, you know, they called it, uh, Dan Helfrey called it an interview he did with me, if you uh, believe in early April, the triumvirate of leadership. I think they like the idea of kind of presenting everybody at the same time. Um, like Dan Helfrey, I, I interviewed him in early April. He did an interview um, with one of the sports radio stations in Philadelphia, but he really hasn't had a public availability yet. And I think the idea was, let's get all of our ducks in a row. Let's introduce Hilfrey. Let's introduce you know the full-time GM. Let's introduce the president of hockey operations. Let's do it all at the same time. So I do think that, that Hilfrey obviously wanted to make sure that his fingerprints were all over it because – it's this idea, and you saw today on Twitter, the Flyers dubbing it as, you know, the new era of orange. Um, I think they did want yeah. there to be like a clean break from the past. But I also think some of it was this idea that, you know, they wanted to present it as all of the decisions being made at the same time so they could present it all as like a unified front. How do you interpret the, um, and, and we'll use their own tag, the uh, the new era of orange? Um, is that Philadelphia Carney speak for a rebuild? I definitely think that the rebuild is still on. Uh, there's been, and this is not just what's been in these these press releases today, but also just what I've been hearing, um, you know, from people yeah. within the organization and close to the organization. They are definitely on board with the idea of a rebuild. Now, Briere has made it clear that for him, a rebuild doesn't mean a fire sale. So I, you know, don't be expecting them to do what Chicago did last summer, where they're trading away out. You know, guys like Alex Brinkett and and letting Kirby Doc, you know, yeah. find a new home. Essentially, like I'm not expecting all the under 25 players to get moved, but I do think that there is an organizational belief that a rebuild has to happen. And you saw it in um, Dan Hilford. He sent a letter around the same time that the, uh, the hirings were announced. He sent a letter to season ticket holders and he specifically said in not in not said, but it's in the letter. He says rebuild. Uh, there's, there's a mention of 
one of the reasons why they hired Danny Briere in the press release is because he'll be rebuilding the team. So yes, the, the rebuild is is absolutely still on. Now, obviously, this new era of orange thing is in a way it, it's a marketing tactic. You know, it's this idea that we're turning the page and we understand how angry the fans are and how frustrated they are. And this is new, and and it is. You know, it's definitely new. It's a new structure. There are new people in charge. That said, and I made this point. You know. It's not by removing Chuck Fletcher. By removing Chuck Fletcher, you opened up two spots in the organization. You opened up the uh, the general manager job and the, and the president of hockey operations job, which were both jobs that Chuck Fletcher held. He held two positions. And he was replaced in those two positions by two former Philadelphia Flyers. So it, it does make it a little bit tough to fully believe that it's a new era when this is what the flyers have done for decades is just hiring people that they know, but it is new and it is new in the sense that these are definitely new people and they are committing to a rebuild, which is certainly a new philosophy. Yeah. I think what a lot of people look at here as well is um, one of the ideas of, of new orange is with all due respect to the, the flyers who have skated before and who have made decisions before, whether it's you know Bobby Clark or Bill Barber or Paul Holmgren, et cetera, um, I, I think a lot of people wonder about, okay, is there still, you know, are these people still in influential positions? Do any of them have other than maybe a, a position of just advising or recommending or sharing ideas in a boardroom? Do they have their hands anywhere near the the new orange steering wheel in Philadelphia? Do we have a, an, an idea of of that setup yet, Charlie? It's an interesting question, and I think the best answer is let's wait and see. Because I, I do believe, and everything I've heard is that you know that group wasn't really involved in this process at all. Obviously, you know Dan Helfrey has made it clear that. You know, it's not like he's going to fire Bob Clark and, and Bill Barber and those guys that he right. has a ton of respect for them. But he's also made it clear that, you know, those guys will be involved only when asked. And that is definitely different from the way it was. That said, you know, you're bringing in I, the, those advisors don't have a lot of contact or connections with uh, with Breer, with the exception of Holmgren, who, who Breer is very close with. But, like, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Paul Holmgren, in all honesty, is, is a great guy. And, you know, he was involved with getting Breer into the organization, back into the organization in the first place. That said... You know, we'll see because Breer is a former player. Keith Jones is obviously, you know, maybe he didn't spend his entire career with the Flyers, but he's been a color color commentator for the Flyers for years in addition to his national duties. So it'll be interesting to see if their voices are still very much heard in almost like a roundabout sort of way where, you know, yeah, they might not have – you know, Dave Scott and Hilferty on speed dial and, and influencing in that way. But, you know, are they, you know, are they influencing Keith Jones who therefore is then influencing the leadership decision? So it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, the way that they've structured the leadership core definitely does leave the door open for the, uh, the influence of the former flyers. That said, it seems like the former flyers that are going to be running the show now are of a younger generation. You know, obviously Keith Jones is more of a, right. a 1990s, 2000s former flyer. Danny Breer is more of a late 2000s, 2010s former flyer. So it, it's a changing of the guard, but it's still the guard, if that makes sense. I understand that. Um, one of the things that I that I was uh, just mentioning with Elliot before you came on that that I wonder about now that uh, that Keith Jones is there as the president of hockey operations, and I don't think he's just there to work as a you know a, a, a part of the, the the marketing division of the no. uh, of the Philadelphia Flyers. But when you have someone who's as as outstanding a communicator as Keith Jones is, it's probably in your best interest to use that ability that Keith Jones has. Um, outside of his you know, knowledge of the game and all of his relationships and all of his networking and all of his ideas, a really highly intelligent person there, you know, is, is part, of the, uh, part of the job description here for Keith Jones you know, to, to make sure that the Philadelphia Flyers, through all of this, um, communicate with fans, ticket holders, um, people of, of interest around the Philadelphia, sponsors, for example. Is, is that part of this hire, do you think? 
I absolutely believe that's a major part of the hire. I, I think that that's something that uh, they feel like was a struggle over you know the last few years in terms of you know presenting the uh, the message that they wanted to be presented to the, the public. And you know, in, in all honesty, this is something where you know I don't think Chuck Fletcher did a great job at that, but I also don't really blame him for it because to be honest, he never really should have been asked to do two jobs. You know, he was being asked to build the team and be president of hockey operations. And quite frankly, I think the organization realized in retrospect that that wasn't fair to anyone, including Chuck Fletcher, that it was just too much. And there needed to be a separation. You know, you needed to have one guy or one person who is building the team. And then you needed to have someone else who is dealing with kind of the other things. And that's not to say, as you, as you imply, that Keith Jones is going to have no influence whatsoever on the building of the hockey team. You hire someone like Keith Jones who has a lot of hockey knowledge, and you're obviously going to use him as a resource. You're going to bounce ideas off of him if you're Danny Briere, and he's going to have influence. That said, I do think that a lot of the thought process behind this new restructuring of the organization is that Jones can do – the things that like the things that Briere shouldn't have to do, like making sure that the the hockey operations department is on the same page as the business department, which definitely was something that wasn't always the case over the last three four years. You know, he can right. deal with some of the you know, for example, and we talked a lot about this, the idea of you know they threw Chuck Fletcher out there at the the season ticket holder event and he got absolutely eviscerated. You know, that's something where you know you might have. You know, maybe it's just Heath Jones who does that. Maybe Danny Breer doesn't do that, or just, especially not in the middle of a hockey season. So I, I think right. there's there's an idea that there's going to be a more clear delineation of, of duties, and it, the hope is, is that that'll give Breer more time to focus exclusively on building the hockey team and engineering this rebuild while Keith Jones can deal with a lot of the other things that, while they're important to a functioning organization, you know, aren't necessarily directly related to building the hockey team. How much through all of this, because we're focusing today a lot on Keith Jones and we're focusing a lot on Daniel Briere, um, but when it comes to making decisions, making hockey decisions in the Flyers organization, it very much seems as if John Tortorella and Daniel Briere from pretty much day one have been in lockstep. And we saw at the beginning of the year, even even previous to Daniel Briere taking over with a situation like Cam York, um, you know, not making the team, getting sent down in, in training camp, and he's not ready, and 30 games down there is going to do him some good, and then he comes back up, and Tortorella goes right about the job of, of pumping his tires and, you know, message sent, and you got the defenseman that you want. How much of an influence do you think John Tortorella is going to be in both Daniel Briere and Keith Jones's job? So I think John Tortorella is going to have a major influence. You know, my understanding is that Hilferty thinks very highly of John Tortorella. He thinks that the the mix of Tortorella's more you know traditional mentality and, and what he looks for in players, and then Briere, who, well, he is a former player, is a bit more you know new school and modern in his thinking. You know, Hilferty thinks that that's a really really good duo in terms of building a hockey team. So I absolutely think Tortorella is going to have a lot of influence. I think you saw that at the end of the year when Tortorella made the really unorthodox decision of basically relinquishing the bench for a few games at the end of the season yeah. to his assistants so he could sit up top with Danny Briere and basically talk shop with him. And I think Tortorella looked at it as this is my chance to sort of, you know, influence the GM or the soon to be GM because everyone knew that was going to happen on, you know, what the team needs, whether we should keep this player, whether we should get rid of this player. And obviously I think one of the really interesting dynamics is going to be, you know, Danny Briere isn't that experienced. John Tortorella is a very forceful personality who has no issue with, you know, yelling at people and pushing buttons and seeing what he can get away with. And it's going to be really interesting to me. And obviously this is stuff that's going to happen behind closed doors, but you know, will Briere be able to stand up to John Tortorella when he disagrees or is he going to let Tortorella kind of push him around? And I think the organization believes that Briere can do that. I think you saw it a little bit at the end of the season with Morgan Frost, who was a guy who Tortorella never really 
seemed particularly excited about. Danny Briere very much likes him, and by the end of the year, it seemed like Tortorella was coming around a little bit, which may have been the result of Danny Briere basically saying, look, John, I like this guy, and I'm not getting rid of him, so figure out how to make it work. But I, they're going to clash. You know, it, it, it happened with, with Kekalainen in Columbus, and you know, Kekalainen was a guy who has a really strong sense of self and was willing to you know, obviously take Tortorella's input into account but wasn't willing to do everything that John Tortorella wanted to do. Now, can Briere do that? He can. Will he is the question, and, and I think it's going to be a really interesting dynamic because – Tortorella is the kind of guy where, and I've, I've talked about this with a few people, you know, around the sport where, you know, Tortorella likes to like, he wants you to come back at him. You know, he want, he he'll yell at a player because he wants the player to sure. respond and he, and he wants the player to push back. And then he feels like you gain more respect for each other within that process. And I'm not saying that, you know, John Tortorella is going to be standing up on a desk screaming at Danny Briere, but I think Tortorella will respect <laughs> Briere more if Briere basically tells yeah. him once in a while that, no, John, you're wrong, and I'm not doing what you want me to do. And Tortorella might stop around for a day, and then he'll wake up the next morning and actually kind of be happy that Briere told him, you know, I'm not going to do everything you want me to do. So I think Tortorella is going to have a lot of influence. I think he's going to have a lot of power, but I think one of the key things for Briere in this role is that use Tortorella as a resource, but don't let him walk all over you. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned that um, the situation with the with, with the player and Briere digging at his heels. You know, uh, Tortorella went through that with uh, I can recall with uh, with the Tampa Bay Lightning, where listen, him and Vincent LeCavalier were not on the same page at all, and there was backbiting and there was you know friction between the two and. Essentially, it came to a head where Jay Feaster, you know, brought them both together and said, look, Vinny, I'm not firing John, and John, I'm not trading Vinny. You guys need to figure out a way how to make this thing work, and, you know, lo and behold, they ended up winning a Stanley Cup together. Nonetheless, uh, up against the clock here. Charlie, this has been really informative. Really appreciate your time. Uh, press conference tomorrow. We'll be watching. We'll be listening as uh, there's never a dull moment in Philadelphia, whether it's uh, your baseball team beating my baseball team or whether it's the Philadelphia Flyers restructuring. It's always, always a good time. Thanks so much for this, Charlie. All right. Thanks so much for having me. There he is. Uh, talking about the Philadelphia Flyers. Hey, there's the big news off the ice. Uh, Keith Jones. Uh, becomes the president of hockey operations. And just as an aside, too, I'm really happy for Keith. I've known him for a long time. He's um, one of the most accessible media people um, in our industry, always delivers, always really informative and delivers well and um, is someone that is, you know, widely regarded as a elite in the industry, but B, it's a really nice guy that everybody likes working with, too. And uh, as much as this is a, as much as this is a win, for the Philadelphia Flyers and listen, a win for Keith Jones and his family as well. Just as an industry of broadcasters, uh, we are poorer for losing Keith Jones uh, to the team side. Again, the most important thing is Keith Jones and he's got a new position with the Philadelphia Flyers and he's back with skin in the game. And, you know, I, I know a lot of guys remember this was the, this was the truth when we were working with Berkey. I always got the sense that, you know, when he left the studio with us, that he was that he was upset that he um, that he did that he that he that he left watching games and didn't care who won or lost and wasn't in a position to have any skin in the whole thing. Um, we tend to forget that the reason these people made it to the NHL at any level is because they're really really competitive, and that is uh, that is an addiction that sports people have, regardless of how far removed from the ice you might be. Uh, whether it's two years or 20 years. Happy for Keith Jones. Um, tough for our industry to lose someone like Keith Jones. And I, I'm not the only one who's going to say this today. Man, he was a delight to have on, right? Every time Matty Marchese and I was like, okay, someone from Philadelphia, Jonesy, or even just a national point of view on anything, Jonesy's the guy. Going to miss that. But uh, very happy for Keith Jones. Um, the new president of hockey operations for the Philadelphia Flyers and Daniel Briere now officially the interim tag has been removed. He is the GM. Full stop. Coming up in hour two, Gord Stellick stops by. We'll talk about the uh, the Maple Leafs and the Florida Panthers. Uh, get you all set for tonight's festivities. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes and the New Jersey Devils. Also, the Dallas Stars and the Seattle Kraken. Man, that's been a good series. It's been a weird series. And 
we'll stand by for Alex Petrangelo news? Eh, maybe. Hour two's coming up. Merrick Show, Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, and Sportsnet Now. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So, as I mentioned off the top of the show, and welcome to Hour 2, no marshmallows, no sticks, no campfires, no waiting around here for what many feel is the inevitable should the Maple Leafs have lost last night. Instead, the Toronto Maple Leafs stave off elimination. They beat the Florida Panthers 2-1 as the final score and live to skate another day. Uh, That day is Friday at home. Uh, We shall see what happens in Game 5. For comment on this and other NHL issues going on around the league, and we'll dip into the Philadelphia Flyers situation as well uh, with Keith Jones and Daniel Briere news. He is Gord Stellick and he joins me now. Dr. G, how are you, pal? I love using the word stave. I'm good. I'm good. Very seldom. Staving <laughs> off elimination. There we go. When you, when Usually when you hear the word stave, that means you at least get one more game. So I find that if you're saying the word stave, you're at least getting uh, more hockey here. And you know, it's funny too, you know, off the, uh, the beginning of the playoffs, I sort of mused about doing something uh, called the uh, the uh, the the NHLPA escrow cup you know which of the, the the best results around the NHL which will help the NHL players association uh, knock down their escrow so for all the conspiracy theorists out there if you're the Florida Panthers if you're a player on the Florida Panthers it is in your best pocketbook's interest to stretch this thing out until seven no no point in eliminating the uh, big cash cow that are the Toronto Maple Leafs in four agree or disagree dr. G. So it's funny, uh, having been a, a part of a subscriber plan, so um, I only go, or we only go every <laughs> fifth game, it was uh, $1,500 yep. a pair for last week, and it rises each each round. So I'm thinking that, say the average ticket's $500. I don't know. You're talking about like yeah. a $9 million gate or something like that for a home game at Scotiabank Arena. And you're right, now that it is a... A, a true partnership. It used to be a cash cow for the owners about getting extra playoff dates, and you basically kept totally. most of it yourself. But now you're right. That that is a big, big enchilada of cash that I know Florida, with all due respect, doesn't come close to. Now the the, the way that it um, just so all of our listeners understand the the way that it works for players. Um, you know your your contract is paid out until the end of uh, to the end of the regular season, and then there are playoff bonuses that get calculated per round. I think it's like. It's like 150k, I, I think, if you if you win the Stanley Cup, court, something like that, and you know, obviously, it, it changes when you get eliminated. And the way that it works is, the NHL pays each team, and then the team distributes it to you. So it's not as if you're getting it right away. There's, you know, players usually don't get their um, get their money until sometime in the summer, but. Um, that is generally uh, the way things work around uh, the NHL. Anyway, a long-winded way of saying the Maple Leafs look to uh, to skate another day and pick up a uh, another large gate to line the pocketbooks of um, Rogers, Bell, Larry Tannenbaum, etc. What did you make of yesterday? Boy, just you know, can you imagine sitting around today as you just described before, waiting for the same old, same old. Locker clean-out press conference. And when I say drivel, I'm not disrespecting the people that deliver the message, but it would be to deaf ears, really. I mean, how could you go through it again, even though they did win one round? Uh, There's something, and Jeff, there may be an element of unfairness and disproportionateness about getting swept in four, but whatever it is, it's like you got 45 out of 50 during the school year, and then your exam, you got three out of 50. So you flunked, you know? The, you know and it just, you mm-hmm. saw last year with the, Tampa, with, the, uh, with the Florida Panthers, they made a coaching change by virtue of a, a four-game sweep in, in, in many, many ways. So least have avoided that. Uh, the debate becomes, when does it become whatever the term acceptable is, whether it's to the fan base or to the ownership or management group or what have you? Uh, I would think... If you lost and played in many ways like you did the first three games and hypothetically or probably got booed off the ice Friday, uh, that wouldn't sit well either. Yeah. If you win on Friday, to me, the pressure reverts back to the Florida Panthers then. And I don't know, you know what the word salvageable it is. I, I, th- I think winning the first round and having a hard-fought, competitive, somewhat like last year's seven-game loss to the Tampa Bay Lightning in the second round would have yeah. been acceptable. It, so I, I don't so I don't know where that sits. And Jeff, 
there's still a chance our, our, our mutual friend Joe Bowen had a fun bet before game one against Tampa Bay. He bet on Joe Wall to win the Conn Smythe yep. Trophy, right? Because it pays ridiculous money. So if the unthinkable yep. is to happen, uh, he would have to be the guy that wins the Conn Smythe Trophy, and we could twist Joe's arms to buy us some beverages. Uh, I, I was going to say that's, um, uh, you know, the bill comes, we can all tie our skates, and because Joe's picking this one up. Uh, <laughs> I do want to talk about Joseph Wall here for uh, for a second, but I'll for, to, your, to your previous point of when is it acceptable or, you know, how many wins is enough here to keep the uh, the wolves at bay and, and, and away from the front door? To, to me, it feels like seven. Like, doesn't it feel that way to you that it needs to, given what we saw in the first three games uh, in this series? Like, if the Maple Leafs... Again, like the doom, the doomsday scenario in all of it is is still on on track. Like the doomsday scenario for the Maple Leafs is win Game Four in Sunrise, come back lay an egg Friday in front of your fans, and to have all of that negative energy and the howls and the boos and the jeers, you know, in your building, albeit it'll be a packed house and to your point it'll be a, a, a nice cash box. But to have all of that there just makes it more emotionally, how should I say it, emotionally immediate, I think, for decision makers, Gord. Is that, what, is that a, a, a good way to describe it? I mean, the doomsday scenario could still be there. Like, we still could be doing, you know, what's the old cliche, uh, you know, shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic or, you know, setting your wristwatch on the way to the electric chair, whatever metaphor you want to use. I mean, it still does exist here for the Maple Leafs. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, Punch Imlach won four Stanley Cups in seven years, but two years after the last one, they get swept in four by the Boston Bruins, the up-and-coming Bobby Orb, Phil Esposito, Boston Bruins, and Stafford Smythe fired him right after the game. I mean, that I know that's decades ago, but that just shows a, a very yeah. successful, but the, four, the emotion of the four-game sweep. So, okay, now we go to five. And I got to think there's, the pressure is a little bit more off the Leafs than, say, it was in Florida because that, you know, that was enormous. I think now we're starting to kick around what should have been kicked around before, Jeff. Like, every series should be 2-1, to one, you think. Okay? And then if it's 2-1, to one, you start going, yeah, those Florida Panthers, got to remember, they won the President's Trophy last year. Like, they were the best team in the NHL last year. And they added Matthew Kachuk and, yeah. you know, so on and so on and so on and did all that. And it, And... Okay, they're actually a really good team. They're playing a real aggressive style. They're doing all that. But that was not even brought to the forefront when you looked and said, why is, if you're a Leaf fan, our team not showing up? Why do they appear to want it more? Why have our big four gone south after a great first round? Not even just that. Why, is, why are guys like Brody and Giordano and Hall struggling? Like everything. Why is everything going amiss? Even Sheldon Keefe said... After was, I think, believe game two, he said, we didn't make those mistakes the last series. We don't really make those mistakes all year. So now you can, okay, incorporate a little bit of the narrative about give Florida a little bit more of their just due. But, you know, to what we discussed, yeah, I think seven would be safe. I think seven would be safe. Okay, but again, we're doing the old things. uh, You know, how much do you want to fall short by Leaf fans? What's acceptable? And, uh, you know, last year, (laughs) Sheldon would take back the handshakes were firmer line against the Tampa Bay Lightning after Game 7 because that was a hard-fought series. But that's kind of where you go back to again, Jeff. Yeah, it it is interesting. Let me me get on the Joe Wall page here because, um, you know, he looked really good yesterday. Now, he was, albeit, you know, very protected. It was pretty obvious that those Maple Leafs players were, you know, going out of their way to protect the hive. We saw with Austin Matthews and, and blocking shots. Luke Shen is always that guy. Uh, so that shouldn't surprise anybody. But, you know, your your thoughts on someone, I was having a conversation with someone uh, yesterday who knows goaltenders very well as a goaltender himself, um, who said, I've always believed that Joseph Wall is the best goaltender in the Maple Leafs organization. Now you guys are going to see it. Um, your thoughts on, I mean, it's a very short runway here that we've, that we've, uh, we're, we're using on Joe Wall, but, uh, your thoughts on what you've seen so far. Yeah. And first, you know, I don't have a lot of interaction with current players. That's one reason you were down at the NHL all-star weekend. It's great to talk one-to-one, uh, with, you know, current players, which you don't get to do. So we're at the Austin Matthews draft in 2016. And Friday night was like yeah. a rock a rock concert. Matthews went first overall. And then Saturday, I'm with Todd Olusko doing, you know, rounds two through seven just whiz by. And we're looking mm-hmm. for you or, or Sam Cosentino, someone to help make sense of all this stuff that's coming to us, overwhelming us. And Leafs PR walks by with this uh, nice-looking young man in a Leaf jersey. His name was Joseph Wall. He'd been picked a little bit earlier in the third round. And uh, I know it sounds cliche, but I was really impressed 
you know, by his personality, his, uh, his whole way about him, classy guy, polite guy, engaging guy, you know, and then he went off and played Boston College a few years. So, you know, struggled with injuries, was up at different times, not based on merit, just based mm-hmm. on next person up, but finally getting healthy. And he's done it in the American Hockey League level. And, you know, this is what the Leafs have lacked. And going back since Felix Potvin about a goaltender, you know, truly developed on a winning type environment uh, from within. So, you know, one thing about next year or two yeah. things, you got Matthew Nyes and you got Joseph Wall, you know, uh, on, on, on entry-level contracts that are going to be a big part of the future. So I love that they went to him. I, I've, I've been impressed by him off the ice. I was impressed on the ice this year in the regular season. And this is great to see him rising to the occasion. You know, highly, highly intelligent person too he went to and you know he grew up in in st louis and he went to a uh i mean he went to an elite private school was like a straight a student um was accepted into harvard decommitted as a sophomore ended up going to bc um for for school and, and for hockey as well but and we saw a little glimpse of it in the uh, Kyle Bukowskis interview yesterday night, and you caught a glimpse of it at the Buffalo draft, the Austin Matthews uh, draft, and your interaction with them. This guy, remember when goalies used to be like, okay, so who's the, uh, okay, who's the, uh, you know, who's the uh, the least athletic and the the dopiest guy? Yeah, put him in nets. Like he defies all of that. Like he's, you know, he walks onto a team and like automatically he's one of the more intelligent people on the uh, uh, on the uh, on the hockey team. That's that's clearly Joseph Wall. Um, Outside of the uh, the Maple Leafs going on right now, uh, your thoughts on what we saw with the Oilers last night and the Vegas Golden Knights? Uh, we wondered about five on five. That was corrected uh, by the Oilers. Uh, three five on five goals yesterday, and now we await. And I'm so bad at this court. Now we await to find out what happens with Alex Petrangelo for the uh, the twelve to six chop on the hand of Leon Drysaddle. Just one of those. Brain vacations. I mean, the Oilers have been going after Petrangelo. Um, we saw Vander Kane uh, charge at him at the end of that first period uh, a couple of games ago with like a second left, uh, you know, hit from behind into the boards head first. We understand he's a target. We know he's not thrilled about it, but still, brain vacation doing that to, to dry saddle. Where do you think this one lands now that there's a hearing? Yeah, and you know, I, I think of my brief time with the New York Rangers and how a Washington Capital team with Dale Hunter and company, they just ran Brian Leach every time. And not dirty, but that's what you do. That's part of it because you're, you're wearing the stud D down on the other side. So that's a, that's a expected thing to go at Petrangelo. Yeah, not a, a brain cramp by him. I'd say one by Darnell Nurse as well to instigate a fight knowing the rule within five minutes. So I, I don't know, you know, do they, is this make it an easy wash for them? You know, sometimes the referees on the ice kind of go, okay, we're going to get Merrick two and Stella yeah. two, and that makes it easy. So yeah. I know some are advocating for a, a two game suspension for Petrangelo, which I, I could see, I could see merit in that. But I think, I think I look at right now that I think they'll make it a wash and uh, they won't rescind nurses, nor should they a uh, one game suspension and, and, and Petrangelo gets one and both teams are without their stud D for game five. Do you think, I mean, listen, there'll be howls from the Edmonton Oilers organization who are, would say, like, hold on a second here. How can you equate, you know, what Darnell Nurse did um, to what Alex Petrangelo did with his stick? Like, that, the howls will be there. And it's like, well, if, if, if you're going to uphold the one-game suspension for Darnell Nurse, don't you need to throw, you know, two games at Alex Petrangelo here? I mean, the conversation ultimately will go nowhere, but we will hear those howls from the, uh, from the Oilers organization. Yeah, and that's why this is an interesting one. It's funny, we were just talking the other day about the NHL Department of Player Safety. It seems like they've had a quiet year. I don't know if you feel the same or not, but it seems they like... Did. Yeah, they and did. Uh, so this is, this is one, and quite often, like during the regular season, you know, you'll talk about, hey, should he get two or three games? And I'm saying, I can, li- I can live with whatever. And then, and, and, and as you know, in the regular season, the player gets suspended that benefits not your team. It benefits whoever the next couple of opponents are. So this one has more bite being the playoffs and also because being the playoffs, uh, it's these two teams are the ones directly impacted in whatever decision is made. So I, I am curious. I can see it going either way. If they really want to send a message, it should be two then. And we shall see what's, uh, what happens here. Okay, um, I want to ask you about Dallas and Seattle here quickly, but first, the, uh, the news of the day 
off the ice. You know, I was making this point before he came on. I'm really happy for Keith Jones. I'm really happy for his family. Um, happy for the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, they got a, a, an excellent person there as their president of hockey operations. Uh, Daniel Briere has the interim tag removed. Uh, he is now the uh, the full-time general manager, period. Um, and through all of it, as much as I'm happy for Keith Jones as a broadcaster, as someone who does hockey talk radio on a daily basis, as you do as well, We've really lost someone good here, Gord. I mean, you've had numerous interactions with Jonesy over the years, I'm sure. And, you know, it's uh, it, it sucks for us as broadcasters, but really happy for the Philadelphia Flyers nonetheless. Yeah, you know, uh, and Keith Jones, you learn something about every time you chat with him. I mean, he was friends of the Gretzky's growing up. You know, he grew up in that area. We always kid because yep. he went to Western Michigan. So in Kal- Kalamazoo, Michigan, I had a good friend growing up in Toronto, Laurie Nisker, who played for the Toronto Marlies and finished up in Kalamazoo. And he's got Nisker's Burgers. And Keith makes a point of still dropping in there. We, we kid and talk about talk about our friend Louie. Awesome. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the Bob Clark podcast a couple of years ago really showed that, you know, how strong the alumni was and how something was amiss there, how something was out of kilter there. Yeah. And I just, you know, people talk about Montreal Canadiens being the gold standard about how they handled their alumni. I think it actually was the Philadelphia Flyers. Montreal did a great job. You know, they had the room. They were welcome. But Ed Snyder and the Flyers alumni, second to none. And I would think still the same way. And you got a guy like Keith Jones that just gets all that stuff. He gets all that stuff. And he's, you know, with all due respect to their previous president just when he talked about chuck fletcher has a blank credit card where there's a cap world so a blank credit card doesn't mean anything you know keith jones doesn't need to be in the spotlight he doesn't need to you know think he's a sports guy a hockey guy rub shoulders all those kinds of things you know he can just let daniel briere go do his job and uh, and he can do all the other things in an organization that puts incredible importance and weight on that very thing so i I think it's a. I think it's a thinking outside the box hire. I think he's a a great, great, great man for the job. It's uh, it's an impressive. Now the press conference is tomorrow. I think one of the things that we're curious about is um, are the hirings done, and could there be one more person still involved in this mix um, before it is finally over? We'll stay tuned to find out more about that at the uh, Keith Jones Daniel Briere press conference tomorrow. I would imagine Dan Helfrey will be part of that as well. Um, okay, so conclude on this one, Gord. Dallas Stars, Seattle Kraken, best two out of three. Game five is tonight. Venue shifts back to Dallas. It seems as if, and maybe it seems as if, anyway, to me it does. We'll see if it does for you as well. This series hinges on, from game to game, which Jake Ottinger we see. If we see good Jake Ottinger, it's trouble for Seattle. If we see games one and three Ottinger, it's trouble for Dallas. Does it feel that way to you? Well, it's funny, until last uh, game as well, there's been the Philip Grubauer coming from nowhere influence as well, being kind of a surprise goaltender. Yeah, I don't know if it's quite that simple, but I get it. It has kind of followed that pattern. I'm really intrigued about this game tonight. Like, for example, I do think Carolina is going to close it out tonight. Sorry, New Jersey Devil fans. I just think, you know, I feel good about the way the momentum's (laughs) going there. Dallas, Seattle, man. I, I like. I, I view Dallas to me as the most impressive team left in the West, and uh, their response in that Minnesota series when there was a little bit of adversity, and that was you know, and the way they neutralized Kaprizov and that, for example, uh, I was impressed by it. There's a lot of guys there that were went to the final a couple of years ago, and they just added more young players to go along with that. So uh, I was picking. I am picking Dallas in this series, but Seattle, um, Seattle is kind of like Florida. Um, they keep they keep surprising me when I think they've done enough. Like, hey, yeah. good job. That's great. You made the playoffs. Oh, you won the first round. That's phenomenal. You know, okay, that's good. You can go home from there. <laughs> and instead, they're not satisfied. And their depth scoring, what, 17 different players with at yeah. least a goal and all that. Uh, you, got, you, yep. know, you, you, got, you got Larson and Vince Dunn playing like two stud D, like 28 minutes a game. So they got, with the goaltending going, you know, I, I give them full marks for being responsible or being uh, being the reason where they are. But you're right, Ottinger. When you see the very human Jake Ottinger's made a big difference versus the guy that's you know basically stole one or two games. You know the the the, the one guy that and, and he was great last game. We'll finish on this point. The the one that I continue to be impressed by, and somewhere along the way. He went from being, you know, fresh-faced to being, you know, without a couple of teeth. And all of a sudden, he's not a kid anymore. He's all of a sudden a veteran. Max Domi's been really good. 
You know, it was a really nice pickup from the Blackhawks by Jim Nill at trade deadline time and last game with a pair of goals and a and an assist. And you know, he 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 knows the right time to turn it on physically. You know, he he reads the timber and the emotional level of a game better, obviously, than when he was you know a, a lot younger and making his way through the NHL. Um, it may have been a quiet trade deadline pickup, but I think this was a I think this one was a slam dunk for Jim Neal and the uh, and the Dallas Stars. And we listen, we saw a little bit of we've seen a little bit of tie coming out in Max Domi every now and then. Finish with a, a a quick thought on Max Domi's presence on the on the Dallas Stars roster. Oh, absolutely! And he did that last year for Carolina a bit as well. You know, it's um uh, trade and deadline made of course. Boston. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's it's the it's the Tarasenko's, it's the Canes that get you know, it's the Timo Myers that get the big names in a trade, and then there's always these other ones. And I always go big time on pro scouts, uh, even though you never know the inner workings of how a trade's made. But okay, who's someone you see somewhere else that can really fit in and you know play at a different level in our system, our caliber of players, whatever it may be. So I give them credit for identifying that, putting him in a good situation to be with Pavelski, assisted on three of his four goals the other night. And uh, and yeah, I mean this is uh, this he's always been a class act, you know, strong junior career d- hasn't really got back to yep. his initial pro career statistically, but yeah, great. I'm I'm glad to see. I know his dad's really proud of him and that, but just uh, you know, he's being one of these money players, you know, just kind of that. Wow, you get a reputation yeah. that way that you bring your better game in the playoffs, and he didn't get a lot of playoffs early in his career, and he's kind of showing that. Yeah, he played in big games when he was a junior and on the world stage, and uh, he's he's relishing it now. I, I really can't help but wondering if Chicago tries to bring him back. You know, now that Connor Bedard is in the mix, I, I and he really loved Chicago, I really wonder if Chicago, at the end of all of this, whenever it ends for the Dallas Stars and then free agency, I wonder if Chicago tries to bring him back into the mix. That's a conversation for another day, though. Uh, Gord, always good. Um, Gord Selleck from Leafs Nation Pre and Post and NHL Network Radio co-hosts a morning show with Scott Lachlan. Uh, as always, Dr. G, thanks so much for stopping by. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Take care. Gord Stalick, uh, Leafs Nation pre and post on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and the NHL Network Radio on Sirius XM. Uh, Shane Willis coming up here in a couple of moments. We'll talk about the Carolina Hurricanes. We should really park a little bit of time, maybe a lot of time, to talk about Sebastian Ajo, maybe. Brent Burns, maybe. Freddie Anderson, maybe. Jordan Martinuk. Jordan Martinuk in the second round has turned into like Rocket Richard or Yari Curry. <laughs> like, it's been phenomenal. Uh, four multiple point games. Um, and we're seeing a side of Jordan Martinuk that many will look at and say, we haven't seen this since he played with the Vancouver Giants of the Western Hockey League. As we bring aboard Matt Marchese here, my producer and, uh, and fill in host of this program. Matty, first of all, before we, I do want to talk to you about the Carolina Hurricanes in a second here. They look to eliminate the Devils tonight. Um, how are you feeling this morning, noted Maple Leaf fan Matt Marchese, and how were you last night through that game? So I feel okay. Um, I was very, I was very measured last night. Um, I, I didn't okay. freak out. Like I thought there were, I didn't think the first period was great for the Leafs, but I thought they were really good defensively. I thought their second and third periods were really good, and. Listen, they get a win. I didn't think they were going to get swept, but I'm I'm I have no expectations for tomorrow night in which I will actually be in the building in the press box tomorrow night. So, I will definitely have to keep mm-hmm. my emotions in check uh, because you're not allowed to cheer in the press box, which is fine. No um cheering in the press box. You're you're also not allowed to cheer with a baby sleeping. So, I'm I'm learning. So, I I just <laughs> I thought I I thought they did a great job of of blocking shots last night, which has been very well documented, but the one thing especially about Joseph Wall was that he looked so composed and he he didn't look he didn't look like he was uh, he was flappable in the moment and he looked very contained in like he never seemed to be out of position although uh Luke Shen kind of saved their season potentially with that play uh near the end of the game that but I just play. thought that, that was great yeah, he didn't give up a lot of rebounds. He ate a lot of th- a lot of pucks that came his way. I-, I thought it was a really good performance, but I don't know. You can make the argument the Leafs haven't played well like at all throughout the series, aside from two periods, and they've only lost by one goal twice, and they lost by two goals once. So I don't know. It's full. It, 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 there's still a long way to go here, Jeff. I 
You know, I, th- I think the, one of the one of the most interesting points you made there is about uh, Joseph Wall and you know not looking out of place at all. I mean, this is a high pressure situation. This is an elimination game um, for the Toronto Maple Leafs, where I think everybody understands what the repercussions are. You know, Dennis Hildeby is a uh, a Maple Leafs draft pick, and he was called up yesterday by the Maple Leafs um, uh, to serve as the e bug. You're allowed to carry three in the playoffs. Um, I sent a note out to someone that I know who works in, in player development for an NHL team and does a lot of work around goaltenders. And I said, uh, what do you think of, of Hildeby with Toronto? And he said, yeah, t- probably two years away. Um, uh, you know, hopefully they won't have to, hopefully they won't have to go to him uh, tonight because he's, and the, the quote that he said was, not ready for the moment yet. Like you can be, you can have all the technical skills in the world, but goaltending, you know, I, I always, when it comes to goaltending questions, a lot of what I do is I default to Kelly Rudy and listen a lot to what Kelly says. And Kelly talks a lot about the mental game and how people, like he, he, he's, he, he's big on body language and he's big on, you know, mental preparation and, you know, how your brain can either help or fight against you within a game. Um, and there is an idea, obviously, that you might be physically ready to play. And I think that there are a lot of players who aren't in the NHL that are physically ready to play in the NHL. But a big part of, of all of this, as Kelly Rudy will tell you, is are you mentally ready for it? And are you ready to that person that I was texting last night about Hill to be? Are you mentally ready for that moment? And I'm with you. Like, I watched Wall yesterday. And I said to myself, you know, he's ready for this moment. And we'll see where this goes. Who knows? Florida can be an explosive team. Florida can score in bunches. Florida can make you look bad quickly. Uh, Florida can surprise. But Wall does not look out of place. And it's taken a while to get there. But, like, I'm with you, Maddie. He looked really good last night. Now, he was supported um, you're right. That play by Shen at the end was excellent. Austin, Austin Matthews was diving in front of everything. Luke Shen always dives in front of everything. Um, but I thought Walt looked really good. And I think Leafs fans are probably thinking about getting ahead of themselves and saying, finally, we developed another one. We got one of our own. This one's a goaltender. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. You thought I, and on I, and quick? Yeah. I, I listen. I think Carolina, just the way they look right now, is just they're so good. Um, so I, I have a hard time, I have a hard time betting against them. And as for Seattle yeah. and Dallas, like if Seattle can really take a stranglehold here and get back home in that barn, I can't remember who we were talking to about it, but how incredible that rink is during the playoffs. So I, mm-hmm. man, Seattle, Seattle, if Seattle can get to a conference final in year two without that quote unquote star power. I just, it's a, it's a, it's a monkey see monkey do world in hockey. The winner, whoever it is, Hey, we got to model our game after them and our roster and all that stuff. Like, I don't know if you can recreate what Seattle has, but I wonder if teams really start to try if they see this team have any sort of success. It may be a long shot, but it does feel like that. Yeah. Who was it? Do you remember who was on this program who mentioned that uh, they were of the belief that Seattle had the best ice in the NHL? Do you remember who that was? You know who it was? It was Dallas. That's who it was. That's right. It was. You're right. It was Dallas who mentioned that. So, I I mean, I I wonder if there's something to be said about just them being at home. Yeah, you make you make your roster around your ice. I mean, Edmonton did that for years. Detroit did that um, for years as well. Uh, okay, uh, hitting a break here. Uh, the games tonight again. Uh, tune in to both if you can. Uh, Carolina Hurricanes and the New Jersey Devils, seven o'clock Eastern, CBC and Sportsnet. Uh, the Seattle Kraken and the Dallas Stars. That is now best two out of three, folks. Uh, Nine thirty Eastern. That one exclusively on Sportsnet. Uh, Carolina looking to close out against New Jersey. Uh, is the early. We'll hit a break and we'll get on the Carolina Hurricanes page here in a couple of moments. Uh, Hurricanes TV analyst uh, Shane Willis joins me in a couple of moments here. Yes, we're going to focus on all the stars and we'll talk about the series and we'll talk about the big boys and everything. We should park some time and talk about Natchez, but the conversation has to begin with Jordan Martinuk, doesn't it? It will. Shane Willis is next. Hurricanes TV analyst 
on the Carolina Hurricanes looking to move on to the conference final tonight. More of the Merrick Show in moments. Sportsnet uh, Radio Network, also Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Keep it here. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, at times, the Carolina Hurricanes have looked downright frightening. Scoring goals, suddenly scoring goals in bunches. Uh, they would like to return to that horror show again tonight as they look to eliminate the New Jersey Devils. You can watch this one 7 o'clock Eastern on CBC and Sportsnet. The Carolina Hurricanes up 3-1 to one in the series. Joining me now is former NHLer, now uh, Carolina Hurricanes TV analyst Shane Willis. Shane, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this. I'm great, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Uh, the pleasure is mine. Hey, before we, uh, I'm always curious to hear Paul Murray's stories. Uh, he's such a fascinating head coach. When I was doing Marley's games, he was uh, the, 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 the coach of the Marley's there. Um, you played for Paul. Now he's in a starring role with the, the upstart Florida Panthers, upsetting the Boston Bruins and, you know, have the Maple Leafs on the brink of elimination. What was Paul like when you played for him? Because I can remember one story that he told me, his, his welcome to the NHL moment was one of his first practices. He called everybody to called everybody to center ice for the bench and then blew the whistle for everyone to do a couple of laps. And he said that Sammy Kapanen took off and skated faster than he'd seen everybody, anyone skate in the, in the history of his, of his life. What was Paul Maurice like for you as a head coach? Well, Paul and I had a, had a great relationship when I was here in Carolina. And why Paul Maurice has been around so long and I think will continue to be a great head coach in the National Hockey League is one because he understands each and every player and knows how to push them to the right level. He does push every player very hard um, to get their best out of them. But again, I think he has that. And I love watching him do the interviews on the bench, but he gives, he has that humor and, mm-hmm. you know, honesty to his answers that allows the room, yes. although he's pushing that hard, I think his humor also allows the room to stay light enough um, to kind of balance both things out. So again, I love watching the answers he gives now. And, uh, you know, you can see him try not to laugh too much because I think he's one of those coaches knowing we have to do these <laughs> interviews because we're forced to, but I'm going to have fun with it whenever I can. Uh, he really appreciates the moment and he understands that, you know, as, as much as this is, you know, serious here and these are careers and this is, you know, these are millions of dollars that are, that are on the line. I think he understands still that it's, it's still a hockey game. Um, all right. Someone else who I, I, I really enjoyed uh, talking to is Jordan Martinook and, you know, Elliot and I on the 32 thoughts pod about a month and a half ago, we were in Ottawa. This would have been after a Buffalo game. And before an Ottawa game was a Sunday afternoon, we got a chance to sit down with a couple of players, most notably Jordan Martinook, who is just a delightful interview, as as you know. And this second round is the Martinook round, like four multi-point games here for Jordan Martinook, who's you know turning into the uh, turning into a, a point production machine on a team that has you know Sebastian Ajo and Martin Natchez, etc. Um, what do you make of the Jordan Martinook phenomenon with Carolina Shane? Well, it's one of those guys that has caught fire um, for the Carolina Hurricanes. I joked yesterday on our podcast with Mike Maniscalco. I said, I think he cooked his own breakfast on his back this morning. He's so hot um, before leaving the house. <laughs> but I think I think Rod Brindamore said it best the last game. He said, the puck's going in for him now, and he's making great plays. But if you watch Jordan Martinuk's game, because of the energy he brings each and every shift, and I think that's one of the best parts of what Martinuk's game is, it's the same each and every night. His legs are going. He has high energy, finishes checks. But he creates chances all the time, no matter who he plays with. I think that's the other probably best part about Jordan Martin for any organization is he can play anywhere in your lineup and play the same way. But he's always kind of created chances. The puck has never gone in like mm. it's going in now for him. Um, he had a great start to the season, and things kind of plateaued off. But it's not surprising because of the chances he always gets. But... Right now, as I mentioned, he's like a guy pitching a perfect game. I try not to even say anything to him. You know, the guy's staying away from him in the room. But <laughs> he's, he's, he's also a guy that is enjoying every moment. And I think that's one of the reasons he loves this organization yeah. and Rod and what he brings in because he relishes every single moment. 
we talk about Jordan Stahl as a leader all the time, but Martin looks right there alongside. He's probably a little bit more vocal than Jordan is inside that locker room, but the way he works every day is so consistent, and that's what makes him such a great player for this organization. You know, I know that um, when you always hear like, oh, he's a good guy in the room, someone always pipes up and says, well, yeah, but they don't flood the room. Um, and I, I understand that. But, you know, here's someone that can play. And listen, as, a, as, a, as an ex-player in the NHL, you know this better than I do or probably anybody listening right now. Man, in some of those days, you know, late January, early February, where it's tough to come to the rink and it really feels like it's a grind and, you know, you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel and holy smokes, 82 games is a lot. And then we have the playoffs. It really does help to have the quote unquote good guys in the room. That's him, right? No question. And I think we talk about energy that comes over the boards and the way he plays but the energy he has inside the locker room. And, and the other part of that, I think it's so important, Jeff, is a guy who knows when it can be light, when it can be fun, and when it needs to be that serious type of energy. And Jordan Martinuk understands every one of those situations. He is one of those guys, you know, everyone talks about it being the Marty party when he gets things going because the fans enjoy his energy and yeah. um, what he brings for sure. inside the locker room as well. But, he does know the time and place for it. I think he keeps, he's one of those guys that keeps his group very close together. And you talked about good guys because Mackenzie McEachern has come up here and played a couple of very good games for the Hurricanes in the playoffs. And he was talking with Hannah Yates earlier today and he goes, this must be the nicest good group of guys I've ever been in a locker room with. He said, I've never seen anything like it in a locker room with a group that's this tight and, and really just good guys to be around every single day. And I think that shows when it comes over the boards on the ice as well and how this team is playing right now. Um, with Shane Willis, as the Carolina Hurricanes look to eliminate the New Jersey Devils tonight, uh, Shane, the color analyst for the uh, Carolina Hurricanes um, on television. You know, one of the things that I think a lot of voters, and I count myself as one of them, uh, are going to have when the uh, the Norris ballots are all revealed, um, we're all going to have Norris Trophy remorse. You know, there's going to be like this year's this year's you know, race for the Norris. This year's competition for the Norris was really a tough one. Whether it's Carlson, whether it's Fox, whether it's Hughes in Vancouver, you know, whether it's Rasmus Dahlin, Kale McCarr is always in the conversation. There's going to be a lot of remorse because Brent Burns had a very I guess maybe I can describe it as quiet because we probably don't talk about him enough, had a quiet, excellent season. And right now I look at the Carolina Hurricanes and as good as Ajo has been and, you know, in the second round, you know, Jordan Martinook has been one of the big stories here. Martin Nature scoring uh, big goals for the Hurricanes as well. Man, Brent Burns is the best player right now. And you've been riding shotgun for all of this. What can you tell us about Brent Burns' season, both regular season Brent Burns and playoff Brent Burns? Well, I think he was so excited when he got to Carolina, obviously to get in the locker room with this group of guys, to meet Rod and kind of get into this system because he saw a system that his game could thrive in. The defensemen have green lights to go up the ice and lead the rush and and really trying to create chances. Um, And in the regular season, I think it took him uh, a little bit to try to really get rolling and, and settle in with it. Obviously, he's playing alongside together another guy in Jacob Slavin that could be in that conversation for the Norris all the time. Maybe not because he doesn't have as many points, but the way he plays defensively. Um, I still remember Brent Burns talking during training camp saying, "This team really goes like the pace that they go at every single day is, you know, yeah. a welcomed kind of challenge each and every day for Brent Burns." But I think he's really settled in. I think it's an area where he just thrives in the system and being able to see situations and have the freedom to make those type of plays that we've seen him do his entire career. Um, But I think he's fallen in love with this team, this organization, obviously this city um, and the fans here, and he continues to push to another level. And I agree with you. He's a guy that every single year is going to be in that conversation for the Norris. And I think as a group, when you look at the hurricanes defensively, they're so tight. They don't give up anything. They don't give up shots, and I think that also you have to give a lot of credit to Brent Burns of that dedication to the defensive side of the puck as well. 
Um, what did you make earlier on of the, uh, and I'm curious what the Carolina Hurricanes players thought of the, uh, the Nason Hall of fights, you know, both players have played for both teams. Uh, they've both been, you know, hurricanes and devils. And I'm always curious to, uh, to, to watch the bench, um, after a, a former teammate, you know, fights a, uh, fights a current teammate just to see who's cheering that extra bit louder if you if you catch my drift um what did the players on the carolina team do with this one well you know i think there were the cheers there more for their teammate and stefan nason because of why he went into that altercation the hurricanes the entire season and in this playoffs to me are the most emotionally controlled team i see in the playoffs there's never been a blow-up in a game. There's never been guys parading to the penalty box because of frustration or penalties. But I think that's where you see Stefan Nason go into that fight because Eric Halla takes a shot at Sebastian Ajo. And he knows, I have to step in. Like, this is my teammate. This is my, you know, all-star player. I have to step in and get involved here. I thought it was a great situation. I think every player in the Kings locker room loved it. For that reason, not anything against Eric Halla, but more for... Stefan Nason has really earned a spot on this team this season right from day one um, on the power play and now in the playoffs. It was the proper situation to get into the altercation. And, you know, I enjoyed it just because if a guy's going to win a fight, you have to win it against somebody who has to fix their hair twice before it starts. So um, I didn't mind it. <laughs> when they, that was part of it, too. It was like when they separated before they came back, Holland does like the, the 10 fingers through the feathers. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so I was we're, like, he's really getting ready for <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. That was a pretty funny moment. It just caught um, okay, me by what, surprise. What you, I'm like, wait, they're gonna back up. It was, it was like they're going to the spotlight, right? It's like old school, like like '90s heavyweights. It's like, okay, right off the face off, we're gonna we're gonna get the gloves off, we're gonna get the buckets off, we're taking off the elbow pad, we're gonna drift back to center ice, make sure it's in the middle of the rink, make sure everybody can see it. It was like, are they doing a spotlight fight here? Like we haven't seen this in a long time. This is <laughs> this is kind of old school. We're going spotlight. Um, okay, let, let me close. Let me close on this one, Shade. What do you expect tonight? Like right now, Carolina looks like like almost robotic right like it's just it's just relentless it's attack 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 it's wave after wave it's married to the system hard work all of it what do you expect tonight carolina and new jersey well one i expect the exact same thing and how this team prepares and and gets ready but i agree with you in the fact that the hurricanes are a machine and i think everyone around the national hockey league needs to be very nervous about how they're playing right now because you look at a 6-1 to victory and you look at who's still out of the lineup for this team and where it's coming from in waves and I love their speed I love the way they press up the ice and and the, what their defensive you know players do on a nightly basis and I think that's where things really turned in the second period for them in Jersey their day was defensively they were very sound and then they were able to get their transition game going up the ice with the defense jumping into the play Pesci and Burns with two big goals. New Jersey has to come out. I, I give a ton of credit to Jersey because they had a big jump in game four that the Hurricanes were kind of able to hold on, right? Freddie Anderson gives you the saves you need early in that game, and then you're able to allow your yep. system to take over. The difference really to me in this series and what you see in game four was the experience and structure of the Hurricanes and a little bit of the youthfulness and inexperience of the New Jersey Devils, because if you go back and look at three of those goals, it was mistakes by the Devils that really led to that. Now, again, credit the Canes because of their speed and pressure to create those mistakes by the Devils. But that is really... The Devils are going to need to get out to a lead here tonight if they have any chance. But, again, I talk about emotional control and the confidence that's in the Hurricanes. It doesn't matter the score. They're going to continue to push and come at you the exact same way. So I expect a very high-paced game here tonight um, and the Hurricanes to kind of utilize what this crowd is going to be in this building to get out to an early lead in the first period. You know, one, one, one final thing here. This is on the uh, on the other side of the um, uh, other side of the rink. I'm curious your thoughts on Jack Hughes. I mean, he's not just an emerging star. He's an emerging superstar. 
uh, someone the NHL can really hang their hat on from a marketing point of view as well. And, you know, we're seeing him, you know, do some uh, do some damage on a consistent basis. Now his brother's uh, involved in the act as well. Just a, a quick thought, if you have one, Shane, on, on Jack Hughes, now that you've, you know, watched him plenty in the Metropolitan Division. Great, you know, great back and forth with New Jersey and Carolina all season long. And now, you know, having watched him for a few games here in this series, what are your thoughts on Jack Hughes? Well, you know, this series is not over yet, but I love what the New Jersey Devils have for the future. And the guy you speak of, I said this a couple of days ago, I'll put in my top three of superstars I want to watch on a nightly basis because mm. Jack Hughes has it all. He can skate, he has hands, he has vision, he has creativity with the puck and what he can do out there. Anyone who's on the ice with this guy becomes better. And the New Jersey Devils truly have... Yeah a guy that they've taken massive steps this year. I don't think anyone saw them making these kind of steps forward. I think the addition of Plot this summer um, and what they did there, they got great goaltending through the regular seasons. So Jack Hughes is the guy driving that bus. And any team, again, the lottery just went by, and we know <clears throat> who the Chicago Blackhawks are going to pick to build around. The New Jer- Jersey Devils yep. have that guy in Jack Hughes. And everything is positive. I think for the Devils moving forward, um, mm-hmm. and and Jack Hughes is that guy that just has that ability to turn a game. And I think the Hurricanes have to. Be, they were they were finishing their checks on him in Game Four, which I think is key. Nothing major, but you have to yep. try and bump him, slow him down, because the second he gets open space, look out. And, and that that'll be a focus in Game Five. Can you contain him? I don't think you're going to take everything away from Jack Hughes. But you have to contain him, especially early in this game, because in his youthfulness, when you get him off his game a little bit, that's when he's not as effective. And you and I have watched a lot of hockey. The young guys who learn that to continue to get around it. But Jack Hughes gets off his game a little bit, and you can minimize him. If he gets rolling early in a game, look out. Yeah. So maybe look for a rematch, uh, Hughes versus Aho tonight with uh, Jack Hughes shooting for the the single leg takedown a day after UFC at the Prudential Center. <laughs> yeah, you never know. I wondered if the gloves were actually going to come off in that scrum. <laughs> Again, Aho is one of those guys that over these past five years has learned that part of it too. I mean, every young guy when they get in the playoffs, like, yeah. I mean, the Devils learned in the first two games against the Rangers. They're like, well, this is a little bit different. But Aho's kind of learned that sure. he has such an edge and. I told our guys the other day, I said, an angry Sebastian Ajo is a very good Sebastian Ajo. So he doesn't mind getting into it a little bit early on to kind of fire his game up either. But this game will be spirited tonight. But I've I've really liked the way this series has been played. Both teams have been played very hard. Um, yep. But there hasn't been any of those, you know, off-the-wall instances like we saw last night in Edmonton, which is still set to be talked about for the next couple of days. But this series has been, I think, really yep really good for the fans to watch and the speed of it. It's been fun, no doubt. Um, Shane, thanks as always for stopping by. Really appreciate our conversations. Uh, you be well. Enjoy the game tonight. Carolina looks to close out against the New Jersey Devils. You be well. We'll check back soon. Thank you. You too, my friend. Shane Willis, uh, Carolina Hurricanes TV analyst. Uh, it is the Carolina Hurricanes and the New Jersey Devils tonight. Uh, watch at 1, 7 o'clock Eastern on CBC and Sportsnet. Uh, thanks to Shane for stopping by. Thanks to Gordon Stalick from Leafs Nation Pre and Post for stopping by. A little recap of what we saw with the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs as they stave, Gordon loves that word, off elimination last night. We'll see what happens on Friday. Uh, Charlie O'Connor, who stopped by and talked to us about uh, the Philadelphia Flyers news, um, which has Keith Jones now as the president of hockey operations. I know as a broadcaster, it pains me, but happy for Jones. Um, and Daniel Breer, now the official general manager. The interim tag is Gonzo. And then A Block Elliott, as he kicks off each and every program here. He's Mr. Um, Teacups, and he's Mr. Steak Knives.